Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This message was given at the Church of Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. This message is certain to convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers. Simply contact us at www.ellerslie.com. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message, and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. The Cry of the Roman Soldier. It's a very, very unique title, and the depth and the dimension of this title is so profound to me, and yet I don't feel like the message is going to possibly scratch it. I don't know if any of you have ever had that sense in communicating the gospel. It's like, I'm about to tell you something, but what I'm about to tell you stinks next to what it is. And that's the way I feel with this message. What I want to say is so much deeper than I know how to say, or I have words for. The cry of the Roman soldier. Matthew 27. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. This is the cross. This is the actual moment when Jesus is dying. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Uh Uh-huh. Wow would be an appropriate response. Wow? What was that? A question mark should begin to dance in your heart and in your mind. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Dead people. Multiple dead people. Rose from, the, from, rose from the dead. And when he was risen, then they entered the holy city, Jerusalem, and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him, a centurion is a Roman officer that's over a hundred, a century. He's over a hundred soldiers. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, what did they do? They looked up at that cross. And what did he say? They feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Something happened. A question mark began. Could you imagine an earthquake? Veil in the temple. I don't know what that was like for the priests. But that's their only protection. They're in a very dangerous quarter. They're very close to the holy, holy, holy presence of the Almighty. But the thing that protects them is a veil. And when Jesus dies, it's divided in two. Could you imagine being one of the guys lighting some fires in there? Like, oh, no! (laughs) But there's an earthquake. Rocks are split in two. And these Roman soldiers that just what, hours before had scourged him, mocked him, yanked out his beard, fashioned a crown of thorns and fixed it upon his head? This very crowd of Gentiles, when they see the work of the cross, stare up at it and say, truly, truly, this man was the Son of God. Now, I just want to make it big for you so you wouldn't miss it. Truly, this was the Son of God. Now, we're going to build off of that. In Mark, and when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. Now, when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. We have three different accounts of this scene, and this centurion, 
Something about this God doesn't want us to miss. This centurion, this Gentile man, this man who was not groomed in the backgrounds of the Hebrew culture, he did not have the same learning and the same training as all the other Jews that were, ironically, wanting him crucified. And here's just an everyday Roman soldier. He doesn't know anything about the prophecies, maybe. He may not know anything about what the Messiah must do. The reason he is stating this isn't because he knows that he matches perfectly with the canon, that he matches perfectly with the the Old Testament prophecies. He may not see that, but he sees something. And when he sees the little bit that he sees, certainly, truly, this is, this was the Son of God. So, Basically what the man was saying, but he didn't speak Hebrew, what he was saying is what we would understand as, amen. That's what he was saying. Truly, certainly. You see, he witnessed something, and what he witnessed elicited a response. It was a proof unto his soul. It was a knowing deep within. This is truth. This is certain. This is fact. This is absolute. This is the Son of God. So this message, even though it's creatively covered with the title, The Cry of the Roman Soldier, is about the Amen. Now, two weeks ago, I was preparing. I told the staff I was preparing a message on the Amen, and uh, I guess Walter Willis whipped out a special, you know, in the Young Preacher's Night, a message on the Amen, which threw me off my game. And uh, I was like, what's the guy doing stealing my message? But then... (laughs) We decided that there are certain times in Scripture where God really needs to make a point. So what does he say? Amen and amen. That's what we're doing here. You're getting the double amen. And when you get a double amen, it's a big deal. It's like multiple exclamation marks. Amen. Truly and certainly. So we're going to unpack the concept of amen because for most of us, it's just, a, it's just a word. And it's a good word. It means yes, sure, all righty. And yet it means more than that to a Jew. And so when we begin to understand what this word means, I think you're going to have a fond appreciation for it. And when you make this declaration from your mouth moving forward, it's going to have some power behind it. It's going to have some certitude behind it. Because it means something, and this something is so profound. The amen God. You see, when we think about Amen. It's just sort of a little tag to officialize our prayer. So when someone says a prayer, we all sort of look up and like, are they done? All right, amen. Let's be done. So it's just sort of a finishing point, a period. It's a punctuation. And it is. That's not necessarily completely wrong. However, we're saying it traditionally. We're not saying it because it means anything. You see, we don't speak Hebrew. We speak English. And what's interesting is this particular word is a Hebrew word. And even when all of the Bible and all of the truths of Scripture were being translated into Greek and being interpreted in Greek, when Jesus was alive, they spoke spoke Koine Greek. And so this word still makes it. Amen was still spoken in Greek. And so in our Bible, we still have the word amen, even in Greek, the Hebrew makes it. And when it was translated into Latin, it stayed Hebrew. It stayed amen. And when it was translated to English, it stayed amen. This word has somehow lasted. All the other Hebrew words sort of fade and they become Greek or Latin or English. 
And so here we are with a word that is lasted. This is the actual original Hebrew word. It's pronounced a little differently, amin, uh, which we're always like, that's not correct. Well, they're the ones that came up with it. Technically, that's correct, but it's okay in America to say it our way. You know, have you ever heard the debates, the divisions in the church over, it's amen, not amen. Technically, it's amin. <laughs> and so we have these divisions, like, I don't like, I, I went to a church once that said amen, they were completely wrong, it's amen. And then I had someone else, I remember hearing them saying, amen is a God of the Egyptians. So when you say amen, you're invoking the God of the Egyptians. No, we're not. That's ridiculous. The amen God. Know therefore the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God. Now you noticed how I call it the amen God, and I made faithful big for you. What I'm going to start to do is give you an understanding of what this word is. Because that word faithful is actually amen. However, it's translated faithful to help you because to say the amen God, which keepeth covenant, wouldn't make sense to you. So they're helping you along, the translators. And they're saying, well, that won't make sense. So let's help with the word faithful. Now, know therefore the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And by the way, Faithful is an accurate translation. I'm not criticizing it. It's an accurate statement because it is a, it's a different use of it than we would typically use amen the classic way, okay? But here's what I want to do. This is the same scripture, but I want to read it with amen in there, and I want you to begin to expand your understanding of what this word is. Know therefore the Lord thy God, he is God, the amen God. That's just a little strange to us. I mean, the amen God? How, how does that work? Well, just wait which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. There's a guarantee in this God. There's a certainty in this God. We use the word faithful, but he will come through. It's sure. He's the amen God. He cannot be unfaithful. He doesn't know how to be unfaithful. He can only be what he is, which is perfectly faithful. Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to him whom man despises, to him whom the nations abhor, to, the servants, to a servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship, because of the Lord that is faithful. Now, what do you think that word means? Uh-huh. And the Holy One of Israel, and he shall choose thee. So now we do the same scripture. Now look at the bottom here. Because of the Lord that is amen. So we have the amen God and the Lord who is amen. Isn't that interesting? That he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. What do you think truth is? Mm -hmm. So we have the different words that you're seeing translated. We have faithful. We have truth. These are the concepts of what amen are. Okay? So in other words, if someone says amen, they could be saying, that's a truth. You ever heard uh, like a good uh, Southern Baptist church uh, in the South? It's like, I'm preaching along and what's everyone going? Amen, brother! That's right. It's a truth. And, you know, you guys are a little stiffer than uh, most gatherings, and so we don't hear as much of that. I, uh, see, no one amen that either, I noticed. <laughs> but bless himself in the God of truth, and he that sweareth in the earth shall swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten, and because they are hid from mine eyes. And so let's switch that out. Look at this. That he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of Amen. Isn't that an interesting way of saying it? The God of amen? We translate as the God of truth. It's the God of amen. 
And he that swears in the earth shall swear by the God of amen. What an what a odd way of saying it. That's because we don't use the word that way. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. You know what sure is? So we have faithful, truth, and sure. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is amen. Who do you think the testimony of the Lord is? First, it's the word of God, and then Jesus is the word of God made flesh. The word of God made flesh is amen. Boy, I just gave a lot away there. The works of his hand are verity and judgment. All his commandments are sure. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. So, look at what I made big. His commandments are amen. Ephraim shall be desolate in the day of rebuke among the tribes of Israel. Have I made known that which surely shall surely be? This is an incredible translation because as a result of this, you can see the understanding that when we're translating from Hebrew into English, how we try and say it. Well, it's truth, it's, it's faithfulness, it's, it's assuredness, it's, it's that which shall surely be. And so, what would this be? Ephraim shall be desolate in the day of rebuke. Among the tribes of Israel have I made known the amen. That which shall surely be. Absolute confidence, it will be done. So when you pray and you tag on a little amen, do you have that certitude? Do you have that confidence? It will surely be. It's called faith is what it is. And so the amen is that which is certain, that which you know for sure. A brief introduction to the ancient Hebrew alphabet. Now this is a very brief introduction. The Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters. But their letters are very different than ours. Ours, like an A, is just an A. But theirs, their, their A, or their Aleph, is actually a number, too. It actually symbolizes the number one. And so they have this number-slash-letter combo package. It's a very fascinating language. But so as we go through it, you have 22 letters. We have 26. They have 22. Aleph, and then at the very end is, uh, is a letter called Tav. And so Aleph Tav would be sort of like Alpha Omega, okay? The Greek flows out of Hebrew in so many ways. There would be people that would be offended by that statement, but I'm just going to still let it fly. The Hebrew, I mean, it is sort of hard to argue when you're a Christian. It's just like, well, God came up with this. This is like a language, just like Adam. You could say, was Adam a little uh, fetus, and then he grew up full? No, he grew like full grown. He just started up. Uh, you know, on his feet walking. He didn't have to learn to walk. He started with a language. He was naming animals. How in the world did the guy do this? And so there seems to be a starter package, a language of God. Who else is, who's going to argue? It's Hebrew. And yet it's an ancient Hebrew because the Hebrew of modern Hebrew is going to be slightly different. And so this is the ancient Hebrew alphabet used to be in symbols or pictographs. And some people would say like cave drawings, but it's not, it's not caveman-ish. It just was a different... All the modern Hebrew symbols flow out of the ancient symbols. So it's interesting because if you take the first letter, which is Aleph, and the last, which is Tav, and you put them together, uh, you end up with a word called Et. And that means 
see what is to come. So like, for instance, in the beginning, uh, God created, and then the would be like et. And so it's like, here's what's coming next. Look what's coming next. And so the entire alphabet of the Hebrew is aleph to tav, which if you put them together says, look what they lead to. Look what's coming next. Jesus is the fulfillment of the entire Hebrew alphabet. He is the word of God. You take every single one of those letters, you put them into words, what do they become? A picture of the king of kings. This entire language shows, declares, and prophesies the coming of one, the fulfillment of one. And so this message is just a small little slice of that. So I tried to make a little chart for you, but the Hebrew letter, this is the very first one, and it's an A, just like ours. And so their, their second letter is Bet, which Aleph Bet. What does that sound like? Alphabet. That's where it comes from. And so, I mean, in the Greek, it would be Alpha Beta. And so we think it's from the Greek, when in actuality, it's from the Hebrew. And so Aleph Bet. And so this is Aleph. Typically, we would understand it as an A. And it's going to sound A or E. And then its ancient pictograph is what looks like the head of an ox. It's a symbol of strength. So Aleph is the beginning. It is ox. It's the head. It's father. It's strong. It's power. It's leader. So the first word in the, in the Hebrew language is going to be the first letter, Aleph, mixed with the second letter, Bet. And it's going to say Ab. Ab. What does that mean? It means father. And so bait is like, the, the pictograph is actually a tent. It's the concept of being in. It's the concept of a strong leader of a home. It's the strength of the home. It's the father. And so here we have Aleph, and there's our picture. It's going to be an ox. I'm going to use this over and over again throughout this message because in the word amin, it starts with that letter, okay? Just to prepare you here, this, there's a reason for this. Now we have uh, the a letter. This isn't the second letter, but I'm just going to, you notice I'm spelling a word. Um, look at the second row over. Um. So this is mem, which the sound is m, mm, as it says there, and it's a symbol of water. So that, I know it may not look like water, but it's a symbol of water. So an M actually comes from the symbol of water. Isn't that an interesting thought? Uh, and so water, but it also can mean blood, but more likely water. And then interestingly enough, chaos, which is sort of an odd word to throw in there. However, when you think of creation, uh, chaos actually fits because there was some serious chaos uh, on the surface of the earth. And it was water. Then we have nun, and so you'll notice we just spelled amen. In the second row over, A-M-N is actually how you spell amin. And it does the exact sound as you would guess. It's n. And look at the symbol. It's actually the symbol of a sprouting seed. So a sprouting seed, it's symbolic because of that is life. Continuance, air, sun, activity, fish. Fish are the symbol of activity in life. And so, but this is going to be the idea of the seed that is passed on from ages and generations. And who is the seed? Well, it's Jesus. Jesus is the long-awaited seed. He is the son. He is that which comes forth out of the father. 
Okay, so as you look at this word, you're going to begin to see that a Hebrew word is put together with a lot of depth. To a Hebrew, there's actually a load of depth in this word that we don't see. We just think it means, yes, I agree. But in actuality, there's a lot more to it, okay? And we're going to start going through that. The building blocks of amen. We'll call this the simple, simple formula for faith. You know when you put the, those three letters together, the A, the M, and the N, together in the Hebrew, you know what it means? It means faith. That's actually what it means. And so this is the building blocks for faith. The word faith is actually the same as amen. So here it is. Uh, we have the Aleph. We have the Mem and the Nun. By the way, Joshua was the son of that last letter, the son of Nun. Isn't that funny? He's the son of the sprout. He's the symbol of the seed, the life that is going to come. So you have Moses, like the father. They cross the Jordan River, and who's on the other side of the Jordan River? The son of Nun. Isn't that amazing? Amen. And so here we have A-M-N. Amen. That's how we would say it. We don't have any vowels in there. It's like, amen. That's actually what it is. And that means to believe. So the verb or action part of this word, when you put A, M, and N together, it means believe or to believe. It's a, it's a verb. So if I'm doing the action of faith, I'm believing. And that is going to be those three letters together, which is A-M-N, but we're going to stick in a little ah sound in there, so it means, it actually translates as a man. And so, like it, like it sounds, like I am a man. Okay, that's what, that's what it would pronounce as. And so there's two Hebrew words for this. And the first one is to believe, to be upheld, to be faithful, to be carried, to be made firm, confirmed, established, and sure, to be reliable, trusted, to be certain, to stand firm, it will surely be. Now remember, this is the exact same connection of letters for the, the word that we're studying today. Amen. It just happens to mean believe when it's an action. When you are doing A-M-N, you are believing. You have faith in something. The second word is to confirm, support, to believe in, to trust. Something is trustworthy, and you're making it known. You're believing it. So amen has this as part of the package. Now, when you stick those three letters together... A, M, and N, and you stick that little ah sound in Amman. Now you have something known as the right hand. Now, for those of you that have studied at Ellerslie, you know because we have a message called right handedness, the significance in the Hebrew culture of the right hand. It's the hand of strength, it's the hand of rulership, it's the hand of authority, it's the hand of control. This is the hand of God that saves. He saves by his right hand. Isn't that interesting? So the noun version of A-M-N is actually right hand. So it, it's pronounced a little different, amen. To take the right hand, to turn right, to choose to the right, go to the right, use the right hand. That's just what it means in the Hebrew. And it also means something else. So you stick those three letters together, A-M-N, and what do you get? You get a word for creator or master artist, master artisan. Okay, so this would be the concept of the creator flows. It's an idea of one that is a master worker, one that does everything well. 
And so there it is, Amon, or Amon. And so the first one, Amon, is a master workman, an artist, steady-handed one. This is actually what it is in the Hebrew. It's the same exact letters, just pronounced slightly different. And it is one whose every stroke is perfect, whose every action is right, who is a trusted artisan. And then we have Amon, which is an artificer, an architect, a master workman, or a skilled workman. So these are all the words in Hebrew, spelled the exact same, use the same exact letters, and this is what they mean. It's, it's also known as faith. So it's a right hand, it is a master workman, or a master artisan, or a creator, and it is also faith. So that's pronounced amun, or amuna, or omen. So emun, or emun, faith, faithfulness, or trusting, and then emunah, Firmness, fidelity, steadfastness, steadiness, faithfulness, and then omen, faithfulness or truth. Then we get to the word that we all know and love. Amen. Technically, it's amin. But this could be called the best known word in human speech. The way we use it is as an adverb. When you read a sentence and uh, you want to ask, like, uh, Kim carried the milk uh, quickly. You say, how did Kim carry the milk? She carried it quickly. Uh, and so that's how we use the word amen. And so I'll go through that in just a second for those of you that aren't familiar with adverbs. But this is actually a word that all throughout the world, I mean, maybe it's arguable that Coca-Cola is more well-known than the word amen. However, it is arguable that amen is the most common, just like the Bible is the most sold book in the history of the world, that amen is the most known word in the history of the world, and yet most of us have never actually heard a message on this word, except for you guys. This is your second message on it in two weeks. Amen and amen. Do I hear an amen? We need to practice that a little more. I've never tried that. Do I hear an amen? I should. Yeah. Oh, that was even an accidental one. How fun. So, amen. Amen means verily, truly, amen, or so be it. Okay, now that's a very, very simple understanding of what it means, but this is how we would approach it. If you're just going to your concordance and you look it up, that's what you're going to get. And so you're going to say, well, yeah, that's, and that's how I use it. And yet what we fail to see is the dimension that is in the Hebrew language to help us understand the full breadth and depth and height of this concept. You know, and in the Greek, it's the exact same word, and that's why I'm showing you this. Whenever you see a Strong's, like, look at, look at the previous one. Strong's H means it's in the Hebrew. Strong's G means it's in the Greek, which is the New Testament. So the New Testament's amen. It means firm, verily, amen, truly, so be it, may it be fulfilled. All right, same exact word, same concept. So amen. The adverbial declaration. It is an adverb that is a declaration. It's sort of like if I was talking and like, and, and how fast does Katie go? And you all yell, quickly! And I'm like, say it again, quickly! And we'd say, why are we doing this? And yet in Christianity, it's like when we make a declaration about God, when we make a statement about his perfection, we have an adverb to declare our faith in it, our agreement with it. Amen. And that's what it is. It's an adverbial declaration. So the question, 
How will it be done? The answer of the believer, perfectly. And by the way, what I'm doing is I'm giving you a word that you would understand, like perfectly, but in Christianity we actually say amen. But we don't typically use it that way. We're basically saying, hey, truly it will be done. How will it be done? Well, amen, it will be done. What? That doesn't make any sense to us, but that's actually how it is, how the word works. The answer of the believer is perfectly. The question, how will God answer? The answer of the believer, faithfully. The question, how much can we trust our God to do it? The answer of the believer, without even a thought of failure. The question, how certain can we be? The answer of the believer, absolutely. These are adverbial declarations, just like amen. And amen actually would mean perfectly, faithfully, without even a thought of failure, and absolutely. The question, oh believer, what do you say in response to what God has done? Amen and amen. He has done just as he promised and he will continue to do just as he has said. That's what it means. It is such a certainty. Do you not know that he is the creator of the universe? And do you not know that he holds all things together in the hollow of his own hand? Do you not know that every word he's ever spoken has come to pass? Do you not know that he is the eternal one, the great I am, and he cannot be unfaithful to his children? Amen. That's how we simply say that. You see, we say, amen, or amin, if you want to be Hebrewish. Doubt and questions is so fascinating. Note the loss of the all-important A at the beginning. Now, do you remember what the aleph was? It was the strength. It was the head. When Adam and Eve failed, when they rebelled in the garden, there was an A removed. The aleph was removed from their life. And what was left? Man. That's all that was left. Or main. Amen became main. Now what's interesting is when you remove the aleph, you end up with confusion. Main, which you know is manna, means what? What, what is that? And when you remove the aleph from it, you end up with confusion. Remember the chaotic waters? You end up with a soul that is disturbed. Just like God, when his spirit hovered over the waters in creation, there was something disturbed. And the spirit of God hovered over And then God spoke, and he brought order and life to that water. Well, now we have what's called a new creation in his blood. So doubt and question. So now we have our little water, and the seed equals mon. Mon, budding confusion. What? What is it? Who is it? Can we trust? Should we trust? It lacks firmness. It's absent of the strength of resolve. When you remove the aleph, you end up with confusion. Isn't that amazing? Because that's exactly what happens in our life. And how many of us have tried to propagate a Christianity in our own soul that is ruled by doubt and confusion instead of one that is ruled by amen? Amen. There's no doubt in amen. Amen is not a doubting term. It's not like amen. It's amen or amen. And when the children of Israel saw it, this food has come down from heaven. Food, bread has come down from heaven, sent by the Father. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one one to another, It is man, it is manna. For they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. And the house of Israel called the name thereof manna. 
and it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. But, as those of you that have studied manna and tried to figure out what that actually means, it means, what is it? That's actually what the word means. What is it? Now, what's fascinating is that's the exact opposite of what amen is. Amen and manna are completely opposite concepts. Something is set down before the people to give them life and sustenance, and what do the people wandering in, in, the, in the wilderness say? We don't know what that is. They had confusion towards that which was sent of God to give them life. They were cut off from the Aleph. They did not have that which would bring order and strength and understanding to them. The all-important question regarding the mon come down from heaven. We've had some mon come down from heaven. His name is Jesus. He is actually the manna come down from heaven. That's what the New Testament reveals him as. He is the manna that has come down from heaven. Mon, what is it? Who is he? Why should we trust him? Why should we believe? I'm not sticking that in my mouth. Remember what Jesus says, unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you could have no life. I'm not sticking that in my mouth. I'm not certain what that is. Remember the Roman soldier? Certainly, truly, this is good food hanging on that tree. The Roman soldier can see it, but the Hebrew couldn't. The Jew missed it. To them, Jesus was manna. What is that? That's not what we were expecting. We want meat. We're not looking for this bread. So, the difference between that and the amen, he is the answer. You see, Jesus has come down, and when you turn to it and say, what is that? And you have confusion towards him, you die. But when you look at Jesus that has come down from heaven, the gift of the Father, and you say, he is the answer. Amen. Simply put, he is. He is worthy of our trust. He is the one we believe. I will eat that bread of life with full confidence. Amen. So reviewing the puzzle pieces for Amen. Piece number one, faith, total confidence, and absolute assurance. This is just our first piece. So I'm just going to put a whole bunch of pieces together. Piece number two, it also means master artisan or creator. It also means right hand or strength, control, ability, or skill. And it also means, well, our, our next piece is, the, remember the pictograph. So we have the ox head, the picture of strength. We have the water, which is a picture of water, blood, or chaos. And then we, in the seed, uh, we also, it was just symbolic of life. When we say amen, what exactly are we saying? Let's answer that after looking at the many pictures that the word picture itself proclaims. So let's start with the beginning. In the beginning, God created. Now, I've already given this one away, but I'll still go through it for you. So one way that amen could be read, if you will, if you could read a word, because in the Hebrew, you can. You could actually read a word. It would have three symbols to it. And there they are on the left. It has the ox head, the water, and then the life. So look at creation. When you say amen, what could you be saying? The Father's strength in the chaotic waters brought forth life. Amen. It's done. Certainly, he did it. You see, he took confusion and brought order to it. He brought about life. Who did? The Father. How did the Father do it? Well, uh, he created. He spoke with his word. And he, he, that which was chaotic, he brought forth life out of it. So in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without 
form, which is the word tohu, which means chaos and waste. The same concept of chaos. The earth was in a state of chaos, and it was void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Do you see that here? That's, that's it. That's creation right there. Amen is creation? Well, yeah, I, I, it is. And then how about the promise of the Messiah? Do you remember the first promise that was given? The first promise that was given was of this woman, a seed will come. And the seed will crush the head of the serpent. So what did they begin to anticipate in all of the Hebrew history? A seed. So just look at this first promise. To, to teach you that, I need to teach you the word for mother. It's actually the first two letters of amen. It's A and M. So just like father is ab, well, mother is aim, which is the ox head with water. It's like the father with a womb. It's, there's a lot of ways that, that the Hebrews have looked at this throughout the years. It's, it's the strength of water or glue that holds the family together. That's another one that has often been used, which, of course, all would be, I'm sure, perfectly fine. They're all true. However, what we have is a ox head of strength and then water mixed, which, of course, matches with the womb because we are all born of water. And so it seems to indicate a mother's womb. Aim. That's actually the word in the Hebrew for mother. And so here we have the picture of amen. But in doing this, what we're doing is we're grouping the am together into a separate concept, which is a mother. Out of the mother's womb comes the seed. Amen. What did the Hebrew culture believe? What saved them? It was faith. Faith in what? Faith in the amen. Faith in the promise. The creator will recreate. The, the creator will deliver. The, the creator will save us. Amen is what we say. It will be. He will do it. It's certain. He has spoken and he cannot lie. Amen. And the Lord God said unto the servant, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all the cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go. And dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. That is the great messianic promise that started it all off. And that's why the enemy has been trying to destroy the seed ever since that moment. Well, how about the flood? Think about it. We've got some water here. A lot of the things you'll see in Scripture that are very significant with the Messiah have to do with water. And think about baptism. All of these things are very significant in regards to amen. Just think about how we baptize here at Ellerslie. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen! Well, so I'll see if I can cover that. I'll try and remember to, to go through that because it's very fascinating. So here's the flood. The righteous head through the flood of judgment has brought about new growth. So this is the flood. This is actually the judgment of God upon the chaos of the world that brought about a new life, a new creation. The Passover. So do you remember the Passover? You have this angel of, of death that is coming. But what needed to be put upon the doorpost was blood. Remember what the, that, that middle word, uh, middle letter is? It could also it could mean water, blood, or chaos. And so you have the father, you have this blood, and then you have a son. So look at this. The strength of God has sealed you with blood to preserve your sons. That's Passover. Amen. They hold to the fact that our God delivered us from the Egyptians. 
And when all the others died, we were preserved by what? By the blood. The Father sealed us with the blood to preserve our sons. How about the deliverance of Egypt, Israel from the Egyptians? Where, where are they at? They're at the edge of the Red Sea. Again, we have water. And the Egyptians are coming against them. And so what does God do? He brings about a great deliverance. The strength of God has parted the waters and given us new life. The cross, of course, this is where it all leads. Everything in Scripture, every word in Scripture, has some purpose to reveal to us Jesus. But not just Jesus, but his cross. The Father has given us the blood water, the living water, through his Son. Remember what came out of Jesus' side, which was like a womb? Out came the people of faith. Out came those that would believe. The amen. Think about this. The Father has given us the blood water, the living water. What flowed out of his side but water and blood? So, blood means life and water. The living water flowed out of his side, and what happened? Well, and through his son. And so that's actually the statement of what happened at the cross. And here's another statement. The Father, through the flood of blood, has given us new birth. The Father has given us the Spirit, because the Spirit in Scripture is also notated as water. That river that flows from the throne that Ezekiel is walking deeper and deeper in, that's the picture of the Holy Spirit. The Father has given us the Spirit, shown by water, through the Son. That's the Gospel, right there. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen? That's amen. The Father has washed away the chaos with the life of His Son. All of these would be perfectly reasonable sentences to flow out of the word Amen. The author and finisher of faith. So we know that amen means faith, to believe, master artisan, right hand. This is how God created the heavens and the earth. This is how he delivers heaven and the earth. It was with the right hand, but he's also the master, the master of worlds. He's the master creator. So he's the author and finisher of Amen. Amen, Jesus uses it at the start of his sentences in the New Testament and at the end. He is the amen. He starts out his statements when he, when he says, verily or truly or verily, verily, I say unto you. You know what that is? Amen, amen. That's actually what it is. Why they translate it verily, I'm not exactly sure because we miss out on the profoundness of this word. Whenever it's at the end, then the translators will translate it amen. But if it's at the front, they'll translate it verily or truly. But the word is amen. And Jesus uses it, what, it's like 150 times in the New Testament, amen is used. The master artisan that begins our faith and finishes our faith with the power of his right hand. Amen. That's what it means. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Who created everything? God. Who's the one that even gives rise to our faith now? God. How did you get the living water? Did you somehow dredge it up? Did you dig a hole and find it? No, the Father sent his Son, and then out of the Son's side came all that was needed for you to live. Your source, the beginner, the author of your faith, the author of your amen, is God. And who's going to finish your faith? You have to figure it out now. 
Now that he did all the work, now you need to somehow figure out how to finish your faith. No, he's also the finisher of your faith. He's the master artisan. He's the one that builds the worlds. He's the one that built the new creation known as you. And he'll also finish it. Amen is what we say to that. What we say is he begins and he finishes. He's able to do it. He will do it. It's certain. Amen is how we say that. Do we see the the power of this? You see, with every time we say amen, we should think about creation. We should think about what he did to deliver the Israelites from the power of the Egyptians. We should remember the judgment of the flood. We should remember the cross. He's done it, and he will continue to do it. Listen to this. So here's our word. I I, I staggered it down. I don't know why. Maybe that's just the way I think. But that says amen on the left-hand side. For God, remember that's the Father, so loved that he gave his only begotten Son, that's the blood of his Son, that whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we become sons and daughters of of God Almighty. And we cry out, Abba. So now, it's interesting because in Hebrew you read from left to right. So imagine that we, as... uh, those that are not Hebrews, the Gentiles come at it, we look at it, and so we start reading from uh, left to right. Did I say left to right, that Hebrew is? Hebrew is right to left. Sorry about that, just to confuse you. We read from left to right. So this is from, this is Hebrew. That's from left to right. Now what if we read amen the opposite direction? To believe in the Son means to be clothed in the blood of his righteousness and be brought into the perfect union with the Father. Isn't that amazing? Amen. And amen. We sort of need two there, don't we? Amen. He's come to earth and he's given us life. And when we turn towards him, we are brought to the Father. So when we say amen, what exactly are we saying? Here's my simple way of saying it at first. He did it and he will do it. I'm absolutely certain of it. He will never stop doing it. He's God. He cannot change. So he is certain to perform just as he has promised. And that is what is known as faith in the New Testament. Abraham was confident that the one who promised was also able to perform. He was confident in what is known as amen. Faith is the same word as amen. That strong right hand of my God who created the worlds and who has recreated me, will continue to do it. Not only has he done it, but he will continue to do it. Amen. Do I hear an amen? Amen. You guys are getting good at that. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. What you could say is Hebrews 7.25, I could make it all bold, and then I could just exchange it out, and it could say amen. That's Amen. That's what amen is. Wherefore, so at the end of someone's stay, their prayer, you could say amen. Or you could quote Hebrews 7.25. Could you imagine at the very end of someone's prayer, everyone else is going amen, and you're like, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. What he began, he will finish. He ever lives to do it, to make sure. He's the author and the finisher. Amen is what we say. That's what amen is. He can't help but be faithful. And that's what faith is. Faith is knowing he can't help but be faithful. Faith is knowing that he is and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 
Faith is amen. It's the same word. Faith is amen. The power of the gospel unto salvation. Oh, this is, this is good. Out of the mother's womb comes a seed. That's the gospel. The gospel is that out of the rebellious, Eve is actually becomes Mary, and Mary becomes the woman out of whom, whose womb comes forth who we know as Jesus. Her name means rebellious. The gospel is that out of the mother's womb, out of the rebellious, will come forth the seed. But I want you to begin to realize this is the power of God unto salvation. God has chosen us. He's chosen a womb known as us to bring forth into this world that seed that this world would see Jesus. And what you're going to find is that the concept of the mother's womb and the concept of the mother is very similar to the believer. A.M., aim. We are not the father. We don't have the strength of the father. But we are the ones chosen with the womb to bring forth the life of Jesus into this world. We are merely the humble helpmeet that hangs on his right arm. You know where Eve was formed? Out of his side. How was the church formed? Out of his side. Out of the right side of Jesus came forth the blood and the water. And who was formed out of that? The woman, the bride. In his sleep came forth his bride. We are, I know it sounds strange for us as men, we are the mother. We are the woman that is to give rise to the seed in this world. The Father has an agenda in this world. It's the gospel, that we would see it, that we would know it, that we would come to that cross and have that living water cleanse us, wash us, renew us, and make us alive. And then he chooses our bodies to be the dwelling place of his Son. And then what comes out of our life? The very reality and the fruit of Jesus Christ. There it is right there. It's in the word amen. It's in the word amen. It's in the word amen, however you want to pronounce it. It's right there. Out of the mother's womb comes the seed. That's the promise from the beginning, but that's also the promise now. Out of his helpmeet, out of the one who leans on his strong right arm, will come forth the seed. The new creation from the right side of the last Adam. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman. And brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Which means out of the man or out of the womb of the man. Because she was taken out of a man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Well, I'm guessing most of you have heard that somewhere along in your life. And do you recognize that you have the gospel there? Don't you recognize that the last Adam came and out of his side came forth a bride? Don't, don't, don't you see that when a man, uh, we, are, we are called Christians. We are out of the side of Jesus, out of the womb of Jesus, if you will. We are out of him that we are created. And what is our purpose? To leave all that is in this earth. It says, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. We are called to separate out unto this one who has redeemed us. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. That's the living water that flows out of the believer. Look at, look at this statement. John 7. He that believes on me, 
as the scriptures have said. Now remember, believe is amen. He that has certainty in me, he that calls out to me and says, amen, Jesus. Amen. You are my redeemer. You are the seed that has come forth out of the woman. You are he. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly, which means the innermost, shall flow rivers of living water. Not just out of Jesus, but then what happens to us? Out of us comes that same life, that same spirit, that same spirit that gushed out of Jesus. Eve was flesh of Adam's flesh and bone of his bone. We are spirit of spirit with Jesus. We are a new creation, and spirit is higher than flesh. We are a new creation in his blood, and we are the chosen ones through which that life, that seed, will come gushing forth into this world. So out of the believer, and instead of the woman, aim, I'm I'm likening to a believer, one that is at his side, one that is formed from his side, a believer, aim, comes the life of the seed. Out of the believer comes the life of Jesus. Well, that's Christianity. That's the power of God. That's what the power of God does. Read the whole New Testament. And we say, amen. That's exactly right. That's what it says. That says amen. That is amen. Out of the believer comes the life of the seed. Amen. Reviewing the puzzle pieces for amen. So these are our puzzle pieces so far. Faith, total confidence, absolute assurance, master, artisan, creator, right hand, strength, control, ability, skill. And then we have the symbols of the ox head, the father, strength, the water, the chaos, the blood, then the the seed, the air, the sun. And then we saw that the ox head plus the water equaled mother, the believer, the one formed from the right side. Now, when we are in Christ Jesus, which is a deeper message than I have time to give today, but when we believe in Jesus, we are clothed in his righteousness. That blood, that living water that is flowing out becomes a garment for us. We are then washed by that garment at the same time. It cleanses us and it washes us. It solves the chaos of our souls. And there is a new creation in his blood. We believed, and therefore there's a new creation. When we believe, we are brought through his work, and his work becomes our work. His cross becomes our cross. His burial becomes our burial. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. And then he ascends. He ascends where? He ascends to the right hand of the Father. And what we have as a result is a life that begins to work. It begins to function. We are born out of his side and we become the believer, the one formed from the right side, the one that is literally grafted in to the one who sits at the right hand. And we are given the spirit of God to be able to live out this life. This is, amen, it's the gospel. The amen is Jesus the great gospel incarnate. So now that might sound like a jump because I just said the gospel is, or amen means the creation. It could mean the flood. It could mean the Passover. It could mean the parting of the Red Sea where they walk across on dry land. It could mean the cross. I mean, it seems like it means every key event in all of human history, doesn't it? And it also means Jesus. Jesus is the amen, and I'm not the one coming up with that. That's what it says in Scripture. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. This says the Amen. So the Amen is not just an event. The Amen is a person. 
Our faith is in a person. And it's so critical to recognize that the word faith in the Old Testament is the same concept and the same name given to Jesus in Revelation 3.14. The same word for master craftsman, creator of worlds, is the same name given for Jesus in Revelation 3.14. The same word for right hand that is given in the Old Testament for the, the word amen is the same word given for Jesus in the New Testament. This is Jesus. He is the amen. He is the true one, the sure one, the one who is before all the worlds were even created, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who has done it, the one who did it, and the one who will continue to do it. The amen messenger. I love this. As the cold of snow in the time of harvest, so is a faithful messenger to them that send him, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. Everything up to this point, when it talks about amen, is talking about some pretty large, grand things. And yet, when we begin to recognize the gospel, we are brought into the amen. We are grafted into the amen. We become a part of his life. And we become, for lack of a better term, amen messengers. We are messengers of the amen. Who sent you? Amen. Where are you going? To say more amens. You see, the amen has done it. It is accomplished. It is done. But we stand in the present day and we say amen. It will be done. You see, what he has done only gives us that much more assurance that he will continue to do it. It's called faith. Amen is what it's called. So what is our message? If we're amen messengers, what is our message? Well, it's known as the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I have another name for it. The gospel of the amen. The gospel of the one who has done it. The gospel of the one who will continue to do it. The gospel of the one who cannot lie, who cannot fail. The gospel of the one who promised and fulfilled. The gospel of the one that we can have absolute confidence and assuredness in. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He is the amen. He has done it, and he will continue to do it. I gave a message quite a few months ago called the gospel, and the very last line was this. This is the gospel. Our message, we're amen messengers. What is the gospel? Now, that's a very simplistic way of saying the gospel because it doesn't if someone doesn't know that it's Jesus that has done it, when it says he, you better define who he is. And it's done it, well, you better say what it is. However, for us as Christians, what we rehearse over and over in our souls, since we do know who Jesus is and we do know what he did, is we rehearse it over and over again and we mutter it under our breath. Amen. 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 He has done it and he will continue to do it. It's a rehearsal of the gospel, constantly. It's a rehearsal of the creator. It's a rehearsal of the judgment of the flood and recognizing there's only one means of salvation, and that's in that one ark. It's a rehearsal of the Passover, the blood on the doorpost. It's a rehearsal of the deliverance out of Egypt, that we are set free from the powers of the world. No longer are we part of Egypt, but now we are part of a greater kingdom. And it's a rehearsal of the cross, it is a rehearsal of what Jesus Christ accomplished. And it is a rehearsal of what he will accomplish. He will do it. 
He has done it. And he ever lives to make intercession for us. And he will continue to do it. So the man has become the amen. What happened? You see, Jesus was invited into the man's life. Now, that's a, somewhat of a butchery of the Hebrew because man doesn't mean man. But it's sort of hard as an English-speaking fellow not to take advantage of the situation. The man without the aleph without the A, without the Father, is a dead man, is in confusion, is lost. That's why the term, he's lost. He's a lost soul. He has questions and doubts, and he's not saved because he doesn't have faith. Faith is adding the A. Who adds the A? God is the A. You don't just tag an A on your life. The A finds you. The A finds the man and changes them into a believer. So the who is this man has become the he is God, the one who is able to save and unable to fail. That's the difference between Mon and Amen. Who is this man? What are you, you declare to be the king of the Jews? And they spit upon him, they mock him, they rip out his beard and fashion a crown of thorns. And what do we say? After the cross, something switches for the Roman centurion. Something changes for the Roman soldier. Who crucified Jesus? And you could say, well, they did way back in the day. I, of course, would have never done it. Why did he die? He died because of our confusion. He died because of the, the chaos in our lives. He died because of our rebellion. He died because of our sin. We are the ones responsible for the scourging. We are the ones responsible for those nails. We are the ones responsible for his suffering. In a sense, it is still us who ripped out his beard. We are that Roman centurion. That is us in this scene. The Roman centurion wasn't raised on the word amen. However, it doesn't matter if he says it in perfect Hebrew or pronounces it with perfect understanding or understands ox heads, water, or sprouting seeds. But when he sees it, he knows it. And he may not know how to say amen, but he says it the best way he knows how. Truly, this is, this was the Son of God. Amen is what that is. It's faith. Surely this is the one who sits at the right hand of the Father. Surely this is the creator of the universe. Surely it is he. He has come and done it. The Gentiles cry out. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth quaked and the rocks were split. And the graves were opened. By the way, this is amen. This is the punctuation of God. He says, okay, I'm finishing up my life. What does every good Hebrew prayer finish with? Amen. He cries out his last words. And then what is God's amen? Here it is. This is God's amen. You thought your amens were uh, impressive? That's something special. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth quaked and the rocks were split and the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Life comes forth. 
Remember the sprouting seed? Amen finishes with life, starts with a father, finishes with a son. Finishes with the life of that son propagating into generation to generation to generation. That's what that seed is. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly and basically said, Amen. Amen. This is he. He has done it. No one can possibly stop him. He will continue to do it for all eternity. This is the amen. The mon has become the amen in Jesus. Listen to this line. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen. Unto the glory of God by us. So when you understand what amen is, and you recognize that all the promises of God are both yes and amen, and you just saw God's amen. So when God amens your requests before the throne of grace, you come in Jesus Christ, clothed in Jesus Christ, because you believed just as that Roman centurion did, and you cried out amen at the cross. Amen! When you cry out amen at the cross, you are clothed in Christ Jesus. That means you are in him. That is what the concept even means. Ab is the ox and the tent. He brings you in. He invites you in. That is his entire gift. You know what the tav, the symbol is, the pictograph for tav, the very last letter of the 22 letters? If any of you know so, um, canon. Psalm 22, it gets my mind going even on that. But the 22nd letter is a symbol of a cross in the Hebrew. It's a cross. It means mark, covenant, sign. Aleph to cross. You put those two words together and it says, and see what follows. See what follows, et. And what follows? Jesus. Aleph and the son brought the life of Jesus to us that we would see the Aleph. We would know the father. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him the veil is rent. In him, the rocks are split. In him, there is resurrection life. He's the amen. In him, you have God going, amen, kaboom. And that's in you. That's in your life. When you find yourself at that cross as a Roman centurion, you say, truly, amen. This becomes your reality. And that amen begins to split rocks in your life begins to raise deadness to life in you. That amen splits that temple veil that has always hindered you and that, that barrier in you from being able to access the Holy Spirit of God. It is all removed in Christ Jesus, the amen. So when we say amen, I want us to have that fear and the trembling of the Roman centurion. And I want us to recognize that all we're doing is we're agreeing with God's amen. We're agreeing with what was done at that cross. And when that was finished, and God sealed it with his punctuation, his adverbial proclamation, it was a statement that says, so who will do it? The amen will do it. How will he do it? He'll do it as an amen ought. Can, he, can we possibly have confidence in this? 
He's the amen. Of course we can. He cannot fail us. Amen. And when we come before the throne of grace, we've been clothed in Jesus Christ. We've been clothed in the amen. And we are brought under the throne of grace and we're told to ask of the Father. And God says all the promises in him are yes. So when we ask, we've been brought to the right hand of the Father in Christ Jesus. And we ask. And what do we seal our prayer with? In the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm certain, Father. I know the answer is yes, and I know the answer is amen. So I'm only in agreement with you. The classic understanding throughout all the Jewish synagogues, and it's been carried over in the church, is that when someone would finish praying, the, the, the rabbi would finish praying, everyone would respond, we are in agreement. And they would say their agreement. They would concur they would vow themselves unto a commitment in and through an amen. An amen is a binding statement. When you say it, it's like a seal of covenant. Amen. I'm with you. It's like, as we say in the American culture, it's giving your word. It's like, absolutely, I'll do it. When we say amen, we are creating a binding act of faith and confidence. We know he has done it. We know he will do it. And we are in agreement with it. So we say so if I ever said, would you give me an amen? Don't just give an amen. Make sure you're ready to give an amen. Don't just give an amen because someone next to you is giving an amen and they're listening to see if you give an amen. You better know what that amen is. When you're staring up at the cross and the veil is written too and rocks are breaking open and there's an earthquake, do you see it or not? If you do, you say, amen. If you don't see it, well, you better start asking God, to be able to see it. Because that's all that matters in life. And it's out of him that you see it. Faith is a gift of God. It flows out of his womb towards us. It is his gift of grace to us. He has awakened us. We are the one that was created and crafted out of him. He is the source. We are the creation. And that creation is meant to give glory and testimony to the amenness of God Almighty. He is, He always will be, He cannot fail us, He will never leave us nor forsake us, no weapon fashioned against us will prosper, greater is He that is in us than He that is in this world. What He starts, He will complete. He is the author and He is the finisher. He has done it and He will continue to do it. He ever lives to make intercession for us. All of that simply says, amen. So when we say it, let's say it right. Let's say it with the gusto of soul as the Roman centurion. When the Roman centurion said it, obviously someone overheard it. He obviously said it loud enough that John might be able to pick it up. That those that were witnesses would be able to discern the language. Truly, certainly, this is, this was. This will always be the Son of God. That's Jesus, the Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, pastor at the Church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. 
If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns, cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.